This program is brought to you by Bible Way Media, a work of the Ulaga Church of Christ. Hello again. Thank you for joining me here on Bible Studies with Russ. We're going to pick up today in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 8. We've had about two weeks off here. Uh, last week we had with, with me here uh, Brother Michael Allison as we looked at the topic of associations and, and friendships. If you haven't listened to that study, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, today we're picking up in Revelation 2 and verse 8, and so hope you have your Bibles with you. As we begin looking at Revelation 2 and verse 8, beginning the section, the letter to the church at Smyrna. So in Revelation chapter 2, and looking at verse 8, the Bible says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. And so, the letter to Smyrna, sometimes called the poor church that was rich. Uh, Smyrna was a seaport city referred to as the glory of Asia. Many view it as a beautiful seaport city. It was also a great trade city and center. Uh, it was north of Ephesus, about 35 to 40 miles. It was also a center of Caesar worship. As I've mentioned, I think it was in our introduction that uh, many leaders who began to view themselves as God and demand to be worshipped. And it was a center of Caesar worship uh, with its temple to the goddess of Rama, the personification of Rome. It had a large Jewish population who were hostile to Christianity. It was here that uh, Polycarp, who served as an elder, was put to death. Uh, Smyrna is known as today as Izmar or Izmir, I Z M I R, a city nearly two million, uh, nearly two million people. Uh, the description, the first and the last, also referencing Alpha and Omega. Uh, this speaks concerning the deity of Christ and says that he will be uh, around long after the demise of Rome. Who was dead and is alive? Well, he is the conqueror of death and has the keys of hate of death and Hades. Jesus is the only one in control, and despite what the uh, heathen priests claimed, he was the only one really raised from the dead. Uh, we know our hope is in the resurrection, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, this church had no condemnation from the Lord, and therefore no threat or warning. We can also compare this to uh, chapter 3, verses 7 through 13, which also had no condemnation. So as we continue reading here, looking at verse 9, he says, I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now there's some very strong language that is used here. He says, first, I know your works, that is, he knows the things which they have been doing. Uh, he knows their, their deeds. He says, and your tribulation and poverty. Tribulation is just another reference to uh, hardship. Uh, you know, there are those, which we'll talk about again later, who reference a great tribulation. Well, tribulation is just persecution. And Christianity and those who are followers of God, if you're talking about the Old Testament, and those who are Christians today uh, under the New Testament law, uh, we have always faced persecution in in many different forms and in many different areas across the world. And so uh, here again, these individuals in, in that the church at Smyrna were again uh, facing tribulation. And he also says poverty. Um, as I mentioned earlier, 
looking at verse 8, uh, it's sometimes called the poor church that was rich, because he does say here, in poverty, but you are rich, which seems to be a reference to their spiritual richness. That is, they were maybe poor physically, financially, but they were rich in the faith. We, we might say they were, they were rich where it counts. Looking at verse 9, he goes on to say, And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. And so he knows that the blasphemy of those individuals, they were those who slander insult by those who slander insult by those who claim to be Jews and are are, are really against uh, against Christ and against uh, Christians. Uh, think what happened to Jesus and, and compared to Matthew 10 verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher. Uh, these Smyrna Christians must have been living a godly life. Second Timothy 3 and verse 12 reminds us that all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Uh, there, they were the true Jews who have been circumcised in a heart. Romans 2 verses 28 and 29. These fleshly Jews were unbelievers in Jesus. They were not followers of Christ. These unbelieving Jews are really, as he calls them here, a synagogue or a group, maybe, of Satan. If these Jews in the flesh had, uh, if if these Jews in, in the flesh had rejected Jesus as a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy, uh, excuse me, it, it was not if it was these Jews in the flesh that had rejected Jesus as the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, as well as his teaching and the and ultimately uh, crucified him. Looking at verse 10 of Revelation 2, uh, here the Bible says, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have a tribulation in ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. This is a very familiar verse for, for many of us, is when we talk about uh, the importance of living faithfully until the very end. This is a verse that is often quoted. Uh, I also like to throw in John fourteen fifteen, but Revelation two and verse ten is one that we also turn to as well because these individuals were encouraged to remain faithful in the midst of heavy persecution, as we saw there in verse nine, in the midst of trouble, uh, tribulation, and poverty. Uh, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Meaning hardship was going to get worse before before it ever got any better. Um, and so they were not to be afraid. We also can cross-reference this, and and then we are not, not to fear uh, during times of, of trials, but we should face them with try, with strength and courage, as we see also in Matthew 10 and verse 28. Uh, he says, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. And then he points to who is really causing these things. He says in verse 10, Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Now, this is not a reference to a literal prison, though being cast into prison could be a part of their hardship, but it wasn't a warning that you're all about to be thrown into prison. But the idea of the prison here is really put for forth as a figure of speech for the prison of suffering, that you're going to be unable to escape this suffering for a while. But it's not going to last for, for uh, forever. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some into prison, that you will be tested. And he says, and you will have tribulation ten days. And so, you're going to face persecution. It's going to test your faith. And this reference of lasting ten days is not a literal ten days, but it really is the idea that it's not going to last that it's not going to last forever. Maybe ten days is a reference to it being shorter rather than a longer period of, of persecution and then he says in verse 10 be faithful until death and i will give you the crown of life friends what a big and major point for us to think about today 
you know, we, how many times we read this verse and we say, oh, yes, be faithful to the very end. Yes, I'll never give up my faith. Yet over the last few years, friends, we have seen too many instances where individuals have given up their faith for a whole lot less. Looking at verse 10, be faithful unto death. If it costs you your life, you never walk away from God. You never drop your faith to the wayside and walk away in order to spare your physical life because it will cost you your spiritual life. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. The crown of life. And what a great way to describe the blessings from God for being faithful to Him. Crown is a Greek word for for the wreath of victory uh, for athletes. He did not promise that they would not suffer trials or hardships, but they would be rewarded if they endured. I think back to the words of the Apostle Paul. And I'm going to look this up here real quick. Um... Uh, when he reminds us that there is no temptation has overtaking such such as common to man. If you look at, um, if I can get this to come up here. As we look at 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, he says, No temptation has overtaken such as such as common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And what that is telling us here, this is the Apostle Paul speaking here in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, is that first, there's nothing you're going to face that others have not faced. Second, God is faithful. He's not going to leave you by yourself. Third, it's something you cannot handle. And fourth, he will make the way that you can overcome those things, that we can bear it, we can get through it, not run and hide and escape any temptation that comes upon us, but that we can be able to hang on, endure, and plow ahead through that temptation or through that hardship. And that's the same idea we find here in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. It's not a promise of you'll have no hardship. It's a promise that you will be able to endure it. And when you do endure it, if you don't give up, because it is possible to give up, but it's also just as possible to endure it, then when you do endure through those trials and tribulations and hardships, that you will receive the crown of life. As he says there in Revelation 2 and verse 10, I will give you the crown of life. Looking at verse 11, of Revelation 2, he says here, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Now, the second death, and we've already talked about he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The idea being he who has uh, the willingness to actually listen to these words of, of Christ, because that's where they're coming from, from Christ, from God. Uh, and so they are to listen to what is being said to these churches. He says, He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the, now notice, the second death. Well, that's a reference to hell fire, a reference to uh, literally uh, hell itself, not torments, but the final resting place of the wicked, of the condemned. Uh, this time by the location that the wicked go to after the judgment. After they are judged, the righteous go to heaven, the wicked go somewhere far different. And that is a reference to that second death. And he says, you can overcome it. You will not be hurt. Uh, he says, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. So he who overcomes, endures those trials we just saw in verse 10 and previous there, shall not be hurt by the second death, meaning you will not face the second death. And then in Revelation 2 and verse 12, you have the letter to the church at uh, Pergamos. Uh, some headings, I know here in my Bible, for instance, says the compromising church at the headings here. And sometimes these are spot on, but sometimes we also have to really take these things with a big grain of salt. Um, 
But nonetheless, in Revelation 2 and verse 12, uh, he says here, And to the, to the angel of the church at, in Pergamos write, these things, write, These things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword. Well, what is that sharp two-edged sword? It's the Word of God. Uh, uh, Paul, when he writes to Timothy, talks about the Word of God is is sharpening the two-edged sword. And so here again, who has the two-edged sword? It's it's Christ. And what does that two-edged sword represent? It's the Word of God. And he's about to cut them very deep with it. Now, Pergamos was the administrative capital of the Roman province of Asia. Uh, the writing material of parchment uh, from skins of various animals was developed here. The city was located 55 miles or so n- northeast of Smyrna on a rocky hill. The city was filled with the worship of pagan gods. Uh, one, let's see if I can pronounce this, Ocubilus, uh, the Roman god of healing, that is medicine, was here. A snake coiled around a wand. Uh, you see this on the back of ambulances today. Uh, at least I still see that some, may not, maybe not all of them have them anymore, but I, see, I still see them a lot. Um, Pergamos contained a, a celebrated, contained a celebrated and much frequented temple of Aeschylus, who was worshipped in the form of a living serpent, fed in a, and fed in the temple, and so. Uh, they had this living servant they, they fed, and that was what they worshipped, uh, at least some of them, anyway. Uh, Pergamus was celebrated for the manufacture of ointments, pottery, t- tapestries, parchment, and which derives its name, uh, Charta Pergamina, uh, from the city. And so parchment, is, its name is derived from the name of that city there. Pergamus is a large library, about 200,000 rolls. Christ here is described in verse 12 as having a sharp two-edged sword, and that being a reference to the Word of God. Uh, this also symbolizes also his power and his authority to wield it, uh, to wield that truth. If you look at verse 13, I have also above verse 13, I also have the words, uh, here, the heading here, their environment. Looking at verse 13, because this is really where he focuses on next, is the environment of this congregation. He says, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did, and did not deny my faith, even the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. And so they know where they are, where this congregation is located, as Christ knows where it's located. Christ also knows it is a location that is extremely uh overrun with false worship and idolatry he mentions here where you dwell where your where satan's throne is which is a sign that this place is very very wicked it's a very very wicked wicked place uh he says and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even the days in which antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where satan dwells so he points out they have not they have kept the faith they hold fast to his name they did not deny the faith even when one of their uh fellow brothers there was killed uh, because of his faith in God. Uh, And he mentions there again where Satan dwells. Again, a very, very wicked place. Uh, Looking at verse 14 here, but I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality, as the, King, as the New King James says, or fornication, uh, more correctly there. 
So he says in verse 14, he has a few things against them. Uh, Balaam, who encouraged Balak, king of Moab, to entice Israel to sin in the ways of ways mentioned after his attempts uh, to curse Israel failed. As we see this in Numbers 22 through 24, Numbers 25, 1 through 5, and Numbers 31, verse 16. These same sins, fornication and idolatry, are specifically associated with the uh, Nicolaitans, uh, which we'll talk about here a little bit later. Balaam taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel. Balak wanted Balaam to curse Israel. However, each time he tried to curse Israel, he blessed them. This happened three times, and Balak was angry. Since Balaam failed at cursing Israel, Balaam taught Balak to do two things, which Balaam knew would anger the Lord, and the Lord would curse Israel. Christians cannot get into the bed with those who practice such such things. You cannot have association with those who practice such things. Fornication and adultery are not acceptable lifestyles for the Christian. The word stumbling block is a deliberate trap with bait to ensnare the victim. And so he points out here that they have they hold the same doctrine that they are behaving in ways which are hindering others as well. Uh, he says to so eating sacrifice to idols and to and to commit fornication there in verse fourteen. And he also mentions that we've already made mention of here, made note of here, about how they hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. <clears throat> Verse 15, thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of Nicolaitan. So as a result of them doing these things, as you already mentioned, they hold the doctrine of, of the Nicolaitans. He says, which thing I hate. You remember, we mentioned just a second ago, how... Um, we find here these these same sins, fornication and idolatry, are specific, specifically associated with the Nicolaitans. Again, here now in verse thirteen, verse fifteen, rather, he says they hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, meaning that fornication and idolatry was a major problem. And we look at verse sixteen. So in verse sixteen, he says, "Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth." He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To whoever comes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Now, <clears throat> first verse, fifth, verse sixteen, the warning: Repent. That is the warning: Repent, or else I will come to you quickly. This being the idea that uh, they are going to uh, be punished by by Christ, they're no longer be recognized as we know. And many other references with these congregations that he's going to remove their candlestick, which means they'll no longer be recognized as a church that belongs to him. Uh, he says, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Uh, verse 17 says, He who has an ear, let him hear the Spirit says to the churches. Now, verse 17 also says here some interesting things. Um, uh, he says here, to, to him who overcomes, I'll give some of the hidden manna to eat. Uh, the hidden man is a food of, is the food at God's own heavenly banquet table in contrast to pagan to pagan banquets. You could compare the manna of the Israelites, a special miraculous food provided by the Lord. It may have been called hidden because the world seemingly cannot understand or recognize the blessings that Christian people have and enjoy. Ephesians one and verse three. Also given was a white stone with a new name on it. White is a key word in this book. Uh, there are various ideas about stones in the ancient world. Uh, a small stone uh, 
was used for counting or voting or judging, in which a white stone stood for acquittal and a black one for guilty. A white stone would also indicate acceptance or approval for these souls. Acts 26 and verse 10 also is a good cross-reference for that. A little stone tablet upon which was an inscription was given to a victorious athlete, and so, so a stone was given to a man freed from slavery and made a citizen. Others see white as, a, as symbols of victory as it was given to warriors returning victoriously. White also is the color of holiness and purity in this book. It, seem, it surely refers to the high honor which, with the Lord, uh, which the Lord gives to those who uniquely belong to him uh, forever. A new name, names are important as we see clearly in the Bible, Abram was changed to Abraham from high father to father of a multitude. The name Jesus literally means Savior. So this new name is not known, but is appropriate to the one receiving it. It has something to do with Jesus and could be the new name Christian. You can cross-reference Isaiah 62 verse uh, 2 for that as well. So let's look at a few more here. Now, the letter to Thyatira uh, I have this section going from verse 18 all the way through to verse 29. And so we're probably not going to be able to cover all that in the time we have remaining. Uh, but we'll look at least a few verses here. So Revelation 2 and verse 18. Now again, as I mentioned before, many Bibles have various headings. And my heading for this one says the corrupt church. And like I said before, sometimes they're spot on. Sometimes they're not, they're not very close. But nonetheless, verse 18 and to the angel of the church in Thyatira, in Thyatira, write these things. Says the Lord, says the Lord. Excuse me. These things says the Son of God. He has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. Now, <clears throat> Thyatira was not a very important city. It was small but wealthy. It was located in, on the Lycus uh, River in the northern part of uh, Mysa, spelled M-Y-S-I-A. It was a home of Lydia, whom Paul converted at Philippi, Acts 16, 13 through 15. Purple dye from matter root and, and murex was a trade here. Uh, this place was a trade center dealing in dyes, cloth making, pottery, and brass making. Uh, this g- gave rise to trade guilds or unions. Uh, these guilds had patron deities and observed pagan feasts, which sometimes featured sexual uh uh, sexual actions and, and uh, uh, things of that nature. Um, but then also we have this description of Christ. And so the previous was concerning the Thyatira about that location. And now this description of Christ. Uh, he was the Son of God as God. Jesus is infallible. This is the only time this phrase is used in Revelation. Uh, we find in verse 18, uh, these things says a Son of God uh, who has eyes like a flame of fire. Um he had eyes like a flame of fire. This seems to be reference to he, he, him being omniscient. Omniscient. Uh, he, seeing, he sees penetratingly. Uh, Zechariah 4, verse 10. Psalm 11, verse 4. The eyes of God are everywhere. Proverbs 15 and verse 3. His feet are like fine brass. He is able to tread upon or crush those who oppose him in powerful judgment. He is strong, durable, and just. And this is also the the longest of all the seven letters here, uh, this being the longest here written to Thyatira. Uh, looking at verse 19, he says, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. And so he, know he knows their, their works. They're very active and busy. They have love. 1 John 4, verse 20, uh, they were dedicated and committed. 
They had service uh, from love flows deeds of kindness and helpfulness. They had faith. His people seemed to be committed to Jesus and trusted his message. They had patience that is constant and steadfast and enduring. They had not given up. And they had works. That is, they were, they were doing uh, various things for the Lord and for the church. Second Peter 3, verse 18. And then the phrase, the last to be more than the first. The amount of works or deeds had increased. And so they have been becoming only more active, where sometimes congregations will slow down over time. Well, they had not. They, they've only really just amped it up more and more. Looking at verse 20, he says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You notice how many things they were doing that God, that Christ here praises them for, but yet he doesn't, he doesn't allow that to overshadow that there's some problems there. You know, there are a lot of congregations, they do a lot of good things. But they still have some some problems that are of a great concern. And in verse 20, he lists some things that are very concerning. He says in verse 20, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality or fornication, and eat things sacrificed to idols. And so the evil element of the church is now called to their to their attention, namely it's this woman Jezebel, the suffering that is allowing or overlooking or even tolerating uh, this person. Jezebel is thought to be a name symbolizing the error that this false female teacher taught. She calls herself a prophetess. This does not mean that she actually was a true prophetess. However, she calls herself one. You know, just because someone calls himself something doesn't mean that's true. There are people walking around today who call themselves apostles. They're not apostles. Uh, She teaches and seduces the Lord's servant to commit fornication, much like those who are teaching people to follow after the ways of Balaam, as we saw previously. She teaches and seduces the Lord's servant to eat things sacrificed to idols. And we go back to Acts 15, verse 29. He says that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which ye from which if you keep yourselves you shall do well fare ye well acts fifteen twenty nine. this is believed by son to be the teaching of the uh, nicolaitans uh, looking next we find here jezebel in the old testament was the wife of ahab and daughter of the king of sidon she was very involved in the worship of baal notice that jesus does not call her a prophetess but refers to her as that woman jezebel I think that's very important to point out there. He doesn't call her a prophet, a prophetess, but he says that woman Jezebel, who claims she is a prophetess or a prophet. Uh, I notice that uh, next he says you suffer, that is, you tolerate or allow. As the New King James says, allow, the New American Standard says tolerate that woman. Some have suggested this may have been the wife of one of the elders. Again, that's just a suggestion. Uh, this letter surely teaches that it is possible for a church to grow and have some wonderful qualities, as we saw in a previous verse, but still have sin that is very, very compromising. It's interesting that today we have false prophets and false prophetess, and we have false teachers who claim to have access to the deep, verse 24, insights of the mind, and some even claim to be able to channel the thoughts of the minds of great men in the past. Friends, we have a lot of false ideas out there today. People can claim many things, but doesn't mean that they're actually accurate. Okay, we are going to stop there today. When we come back next time, we'll pick up in Revelation 2 and verse 21. We'll continue looking at uh, this this letter here to uh, Thyatira. And so we'll stop here and pick up next week in Revelation chapter uh, chapter 2. We'll be picking up in verse 21. 
So I do thank you for being here with me today. I hope you have enjoyed uh, this study, and I hope to see you again next time. We hope you enjoyed this program. We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Pandora, Spotify, or Podbean. Thanks for listening.